everybody that has just slotted in. It's good to just bring this message to you in this live broadcast and just to see how the message of grace is going out all over the world. Now, where I can sit here knowing that there are people sitting, watching on their phones, tablets or computers and where we can share this gospel together. Now, today I'm going to talk about the birth of Christ and what He's come to do. And we're going to talk about Jesus as the revelation of who the Father is. Now, in today's message, I'm going to basically touch on four points. The first one would be the lie in the Garden of Eden, what the lie did to people's minds, and their way wherein they perceived God, and how that then, in the second point there, uh, filtered into what people and how they read the law. And then the third point, we're going to talk about Jesus as the truth, flowing then into the last point that I'm going to have for today, which would be Jesus revealing God as a father and the creator of a brand new life. Now, uh, I believe that the part where we're going to talk about the old and how in the old we cannot actually see the character of God might be challenging to some, but I'm going to ask you to sit and listen and open your heart and hear what God actually want to say. Many times we feel that the Old Testament writers could never have been wrong in anything they say. Now, I'm not saying the Bible is wrong, neither am I saying that not one of the words they written was not inspired. Everything was inspired. Everything is pointing to Christ and seen in the truth. It is revealed as the beauty of God. But I want you to hear what I'm saying today in uh, Jesus revealing who the Father really is. You cannot see in David who the Father is. You can see partial things. Once you've seen Christ, you can recognize Christ in David and in uh, Solomon and in uh, Joshua and in Moses and in all these Old Testament characters, Elijah, Elisha and so forth. Jesus even came in John and he said that everyone that came before him was thieves and robbers. Now, unless you see them as thieves and robbers, you will try and find them as not being thieves and robbers, and then you will trust them, and that will rob you. You need to see Jesus and hear him, and then from there, you can go and look at the Old Testament writers, and you can see the beautiful thread of God revealing Christ in all of their writings. Amen. Now, uh, and I've said, the, the point I'm going to make now, I've said many times, when God made Adam and Eve, He made them from the perspective of relationship. The only way where He could create and bring forth who He is and <clears throat> have His kingdom live in Adam and Eve was from the platform of a love relationship wherein He would create, be the creator of everything, and then as they are then part of this creation, and see what God has already created, and see what God has done, and as they rest in His work, you would find that God would then ex expand this creation into every part of the world. We need to understand that the world was without form and void and that the world became that way. 
And as the world became that way, and as there was that darkness, God came and He brought forth a new creation. And He wanted this very image of God, which was Adam and Eve, to multiply and flood the earth. And the only atmosphere wherein that could take place is in an atmosphere where the Almighty God has done everything so perfectly that He Himself rests from all His work and then man can behold everything that God has done and rest in everything that God has done. And then God would so multiply or manifest His kingdom in all the earth. And so everyone that is born will be a co-sharer and an heir of the very life of God, wherein everyone can experience what it feels like to be like God, where they can feel what it feels like to love, to be kind, to experience, uh, experience mercy and to give mercy. Yesterday, um, we went and just gave to some people for Christmas time, just random people. And uh, we, and I, as we were driving to these people's house, I said, what a blessing it is to be able to give. And that is the kind of thing that God had in mind here. Now, I'm not hinting on giving towards the ministry. What I'm talking about here is sharing in the life of God. And what I could say to my kids is that we all have to be at a place where we can see that God has worked, He has earned, and He, has, he is now giving towards us. Then we become the recipients. We receive. And after we have freely received, that receiving and the love of God towards us in what God has already done, creates in us a brand new heart. And then we experience that generosity being born in us. And then we go and we are the very image of God in the earth. The, or, or we can say we are like Him in the sense of we love like Him. And what a beauty it is to go to someone give something to Him, and as you give it to Him, you see tears in their eyes, and they were so grateful because it was unexpected, and they see how God came through for them. Uh, and where you can share in that quality of life, that was God's dream from the beginning. That could not come through rules and regulations. Now, the foundation of a relationship wherein you will be a recipient or where you will receive is trust. If you don't trust someone, it's very difficult to receive from him. It's also very difficult uh, if lies are told about somebody that you need to receive from to believe everything they say. You will start to doubt their motives. There will be a filter through which you will interpret everything they say. And that's exactly what happened in the garden when Adam and Eve was, or Eve basically was deceived and led astray by the devil. A lie was told about God. And that I've said many times. And I want you to have that reality set on the depth of your heart. That a lie about God was the foundation of all pain and all hurt. Satan came and said, did God say you should not eat of this tree? Did God basically say, and for those of you that follow the ministry regularly, did God say that you cannot have life by your own works? That is what He said. And, and then 
they basically said, yes, God said we cannot eat of that because if we go there in our mind, if we start to believe that we can have life by our own works, we will surely die. And then he says, no, no, God is scared that there will be someone like him outside of him giving him that life. He's scared of having another God in the world. He is, is competition driven. And when, when Satan deceived Eve, and I believe it wasn't just in the one-time encounter, it was many times in speaking and thoughts that was going in her mind on these things, uh, and she fell into this. The first thing that happened was fear towards God, and then when the very same God that gave them everything for free, the very same God that made them, put them on the earth, the one that created everything they had, the one that actually put the very breath in their mouths, the one who gave them the earth and the garden and everything that has only been good, that has never been bad, all of a sudden they had fear. And from that fear, they looked at God. Everything God did would then be interpreted in the light of this filter of distrust. Let's look at it. When God came and He walked in the cool of the day and He came and He walked with Adam and Eve, what happened? As He, he would normally walk with them and, and the idea of the garden story is that He would fellowship with them, walk with them, uh, in today's terms, have a good relationship, father-son relationship, where He influences them with what He has done and who He really is. And in that <clears throat> they receive this truth and it shapes their belief and so who he is manifests and multiplies. That's the idea. But as he continues and nothing about God changes, he comes and walks with them. After they believe the lie, there's fear in their heart. They think that God wants to harm them. They think that God wants to hurt them. They hide themselves away from God. And then from that point, they went out of the garden and with that mindset, they, we can put it this way, went into the world. With that mindset, man was formed and shaped. And not the image of God, but the very uh, distrust that there is in man covered the earth. And man naturally, from his own ability, would look at God and have a wrong interpretation of who God is. And from that mindset of God is the one that wants to harm, God is the one that wants to hurt, we need to actually be afraid of God. And then eventually, coming out from the bush where you are hiding and still talking to God, but walking away, still having some form of a fear. Like uh, <clears throat> I was setting up the program for YouTube and on the, you know, one of those suggested videos there, one of the videos there was a lady that was standing there and they've got this big spider and they put the spider walking on her face. Now, they must have told her, this spider will not bite you. And we've done this a, a thousand times with people and he didn't bite anybody and the spider is not poisonous and this and this and this. But as she goes and she allows them to put that spider, it's a massive spider as big as my hand, on her face, you can see the fear inside her, although she's doing it. And that to me is a good picture of how man actually approached God. It's like, okay, God will not harm me. Okay, but I still go with a fear. 
because I'm not seeing God as the creator, but I'm seeing him as the dictator. There's a difference between being the creator and the dictator. The creator is the one that is the source of life that brings forth everything that you've got need of in you. But the dictator is the one that demands all these things. And he dictates to you and tells you, do this, do this, do that. Wherein you know your own inability. So God then comes and as he <coughs> communicates with man, as he communicates with David, and we're going to, see I've got that passage here, I've got Psalms there, yes. As he communicates with David, as he communicates with Elijah, as he speaks to Moses, and as the angels came and bring these messages from God and speak to the people, it's all spoken and written through a filter. And that filter is God is speaking to people that are actually afraid of him, that don't have a good, didn't have a good encounter or a good history about God, wherein the idea of God is a God that is good and bad, a God that can give you a garden, but a God that also, when you've done something wrong, you need to be afraid of him and fear rises in your heart and you are ashamed and it's all, all of a sudden a measurement thing wherein you interpret God through your own ability, wherein you see your own death and you start to project the death towards God and says that He is the source of this death, He's the source of my pain. Now, I'm saying all of this because it's very important for us to understand that the writers of this book, the people who wrote uh, like Chronicles, if, if you look at Psalms, if you look at Ecclesiastes, Isaiah, uh, the small prophets, if you look at all of these, these people's minds, they, let me put it this way, they weren't in their right mind. It's like Elijah. Elijah came and he called down fire and also, you know, with the bears and the children and all those kind of things. It is just like, you look at all of, all of that and you think, wow. And then you find in the New Testament that the disciples want to do the same. And Jesus said to him, said to them, you don't know what spirit you are of. I have not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And you find that Jesus Christ comes and brings something brand new. He brings a new way of looking at things. I want to go so far as to say that if we look at passages like Hebrews chapter 2, and I want to just read Hebrews 2 uh, from verse 2, just verse 2 there, it says, for if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, then every transgression disobedient received is just recompense of reward. So what it says here is that there was a word spoken of angels. And then if you read Hebrews chapter 1, it says that in the old times he spoke through angels and he spoke through those people. And angels brought the message to people and then they would speak them and so forth. You realize that he spoke through messengers. He gave a message to someone. And that angel, which is called the messenger, would then bring the message to Moses. That's why the Bible says the law was given by the administration of angels. Let's read Acts 7 verse 52. It says, Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. So what it says here, he says that the law 
God gave the law, but it was almost as if He gave it to messengers, and then these messengers gave the law to people. Now, who are these messengers? I believe that they, they are, some of them would be people through whom God speaks, others would be angelic beings, supernatural beings. He would speak through them and give them these, these messages. Then verse 19, it says, Wherefore then serves the law? It was added because of transgression, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator, which was Moses. It says here again, ordained by angels. Now let's look a little bit deeper into this angels. Now the point that I'm making is, the message that God spoke to people was given to a messenger. And then this messenger would speak it to a man, Moses. This man would have a warped idea of God. Then as he would see the very glory of God or the message that God gives him, he would interpret it in his view. And then he would speak it. And we can clearly see that in, uh, and I've mentioned this many times before, in Exodus 34, where God came onto the mountain. And when he was on the mountain, he said, I am the Lord, the Lord God. And he explained how good he is. And the moment Moses went from there down to the people, he was very angry. And he basically, from his perspective, didn't, didn't, Come and see a God that is merciful and gracious, that can pardon sin and set people free. He should have gone down and said, people, what you've done here is wrong, but I've got good news for you. God is a God that can set you free from what you're doing. You don't have the ability to be set free from this, but our God is a merciful God, and He will be merciful to whomsoever He wants to be merciful. And I have asked Him to take us for His inheritance to come live amongst us and pardon all our sins. And He came and He told them to grind the golden calf and drink it. And I mean, there were so many things that happened there which... When we read it now in the light of the good news, we can even see the types and shadows in that and what Christ has come to do for us. So I'm not throwing anything away, but what I'm saying is this. Moses heard a message from an angelic being. When he heard a message from an angelic being in the giving of the law, I mean, there was time when God appeared to Moses uh, given, but it, what I'm saying is Moses didn't understand these angelic beings they also didn't really understand what was going on because this thing was a mystery hidden for ages and generations. And the scripture says in 1 Peter 1.11, now listen to this, uh, it talks about the prophets. It says, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand of the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent from heaven which things the angels desire to look into. So what he's saying is, is that there were angels God gave them messages and this is my point they took that message just word for word as God would say it, and then speak it to people. 
They didn't come with an interpretation from a point of understanding. The angels didn't come with understanding. Understanding, revelation and truth came through Jesus. And here it says that the things that are preached to us now, which is the physical resurrection of Christ, if you read in context according to Peter here, the things that are preached to us which we now see were the things that the angels desired to look into. They didn't understand these things. They didn't know. The, 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 the demons, the angels, these things, they didn't know what was going on. For have they known? Have the people of that time known? They wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. So they didn't understand what was going on. So when we look at the old, we need to understand. I'm not saying the angels gave a wrong message. I'm not saying that. Neither am I saying that any of the scriptures aren't interpreted. I'm just saying that when you look at something that comes from an angel, you need to understand that Peter said, even if I or an angel come and preaches a different message than what I have preached, let him be accursed. So why would Paul say, even if an angel comes? Because an angel can have a message. An angel can come and quote before Christ now. He, he can come and he can quote a scripture to you in the old. You know, and, and that scripture would be accurate, but the understanding behind it is wrong. So we need to see that, and I want you to hear what I'm saying. <clears throat> I'm not saying angels is wrong. I'm not saying the Old Testament is wrong. None of that. What I'm saying is that Jesus Christ is the only accurate representation or manifestation or the very image or likeness of God. He's the image of God. He is like you would find a, 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 a graven image, which is uh, you, where you look at the real thing and you put that real thing into a certain form here. If you want to see what the real thing looks like, you would look at that image of it. So Christ is the very image of the Father. He's the image of God himself and the angels desired to look at who and what God is. I've said it before, you know, in the heavens, you could see the glory of God. In other words, you could see uh, uh, the goodness of God and so forth. But to lay eyes upon the unseen God was first done when Jesus was born. When Jesus was born, the angels could for the first time actually see God. Because the unseen God, now when you would be in heaven, you would see the fire or you would see the glory or you would see the image of a man, but you wouldn't see who he really is. But when he became a man, especially in the resurrection, they could truly see who and what God is. That's what they could see and who and what God would be in the midst of sinners. So angels got a revelation. They could be accurate ministers, but it would be as what you would find someone bringing you a message, somebody bringing me a message about a computer or a camera, but that person understands nothing about computers and cameras, but they do bring a word-for-word -word message. So the point I'm making is <clears throat> that when you look at the old, the old 
taken at face value can only reveal the inability of man. The old covenant, in other words, if we take the story about Sodom and Gomorrah and we read it at face value, God came in and killed people. If you read it just at face value, the only thing it can reveal is your own inability. That is all. That's what it basically points to. It makes everybody sinners before God. If we just look at that without anything about Jesus, imagine you knew nothing about Jesus. You never knew the Messiah would be crucified. You know that the Jews didn't believe that the Messiah would be crucified. They didn't believe that. To them, the Messiah could never die. There was things, I mean, that was a brand new revelation to them, which the Apostle Paul received from God when he was caught up. And God revealed these things to him, showed these things to him. Later on, some of the others understood as the Spirit revealed it to them. So here we come and we see that God is a God that is actually just good. But in the Old Testament scriptures, we find people that had a mind that is full of fear, angels that were holy beings, accurately full of power, bringing forth the message that God told the law, which was, as in many messages I've preached before, actually written unto Jesus so that he could know who he was and what he had to do in order to save us from our sin and death. So we find people not really knowing what's going on, angels accurately bringing the message, but still waiting, desiring to see what these things are all about, although they are very holy beings. And out of this old system, we find that God says there is a need for the new. And if there is a need for the new, it means it talks about the imperfection of the old. It means that David's revelation of who God was, was imperfect. Let me read Psalm 51 verse 7. <clears throat> he says here, now listen to this. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Isn't that beautiful grace? Yes, God, if you make me clean, I will be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. If you wash me, I will be clean. Can you see how he's starting to see a little bit of a glimpse of who God really is? Then he goes on, he says, Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. So all of a sudden it's, God, if you make me clean, hallelujah, but you've broken me, you're killing me. Can you see the mixture there in the life of David? That is why when we read the new, we can read the new in the light of thanking God for revealing Jesus. And now in Christ, we can look at these old things and we can really see that the, the devastation of approaching God outside of Christ. That's why when you look at um, many different religions on the earth today, you find a good side and a bad side. But in Christ, you find the goodness of God. Now, <clears throat> man was in this big dilemma and God wanted to cure this. And this is what he did. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was this message of life. I'm just putting in my own words or the word. And the word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him, 
Was not anything made that was made? Can you see how John comes and he puts the focus on God being the one that makes things? That we shouldn't be thinking we the one that make a holy life or make a new life or anything. He wants us to understand that. He says, in him was life. And the life that Jesus had in him, the eternal life and the life he lived and what he did is the light of man. So, in order for us to be enlightened, we had to see and behold the very life of Jesus. And when we are at Christmas time, we are thinking of the life of Jesus. He was born, he was born in a manger, he was there amongst the, 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 he wasn't in a big hotel or born like a king. He was born there and in a, in a way that most of us would never have our, in a place where of us would have our kids born. And he was born like nothing. And he came and he was fully identifying with man, not finding his identity in where he's born or any of that. And we find the message of God where God says that the least, the most obscure, I'm not ashamed of. And I am not, I, I'm not phased by if you're poor or rich or any of those things. I see the value of a person. I can be born that way. And he comes and is born as a normal human being. He learns and obeys. And as he starts to deal with people, he deals with them in kindness and love and goodness. He forgives people, forgive meaning. He sets them free from what oppresses them. He shows God's eternal acceptance. He shows that nobody has to fear. The words fear not, uh, the, the, the very God that came and walked in the garden with man is now once again walking in the garden with his people. And we find people being afraid. But we are seeing God revealing who he truly is. And he didn't just reveal who he was in accepting sinners and loving on the tax collectors, allowing the prostitutes uh, uh, to be his friends and the, the bad people in the eyes of the law. Like the people said, if he was truly a man of God, he would have known what kind of a woman this is and that she should not touch him. Because he knew that a person's dirt cannot make him dirty, but his holiness makes them holy. That's what he knew. And he has already taken all their sin and disgrace on him and he was about to conquer it and grant the very life that he has to everyone by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, <clears throat> when Jesus walked the earth, what did he bring man? What did we see of God? We are seeing the Creator coming to recreate man. And I want to read that from Isaiah uh, 9, and I'm going to read from verse 2 to 7, the famous passage that I think most preachers read when it comes to Christmas time. It says, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them has the light shined. Now remember, it says that this life of Christ is the light. Jesus said that if the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So if the light in you is darkness, and that darkness he talks about being blinded by the law, in the literal reading of the law, 
where you don't see it pointing to Christ and where you in Christ see who God is revealed, where you take the old and you just talk about an angry God that can break bones and heal bones, a God that can destroy, destroy you and the one day bless you, a God that would um, one day <coughs> want certain things from you and if you disobey, then His hand of protection is taken away from you and so forth. Uh, he comes and if, if that revelation is your revelation, you are in darkness and you need light. And that light is the life of Jesus. Not just the life that He lived amongst people, but the life that He obtained in His resurrection. Verse 3, You have multiplied the nations and increased the joy. They joy before you to the joy in harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoils. For you have broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, and the rod of the oppressor, as in the day of Midian. So what he's saying here is, he says that there were people that walked in darkness, but, let me put it this way, this darkness that they were in was the darkness of I need to obey the law. I need to live right. The darkness of God is a two-faced God. He's a righteous God and He's a just God that will see that justice will come to the earth. And justice is defined as if you obey the law, God will bless you. If you don't obey the law, God will curse you and God will destroy you. That is what, he's, what He is saying here. So he goes on here, he says, he says that these nations were multiplied. In other words, God didn't just have one nation which was Israel. He multiplied the nations and he multiplied their joy, all the nations' joy. Why did he multiply their joy? He multiplied their joy as in the day of harvest. Why in the day of harvest? Because the work is done and now you are harvesting. In the day of the dividing of the spoils, meaning that your war is over. Isaiah 40. For you have broken. Who has broken? God came. Christ. This is the life He lived. He came and He broke the yoke of the burden of the law, the staff of His shoulder, the rod of the oppressor as in the day of Midian. Satan has oppressed man through the lie about God. And now Jesus comes and shows who the Father really is. And in Him we see that these Old Testament guys didn't all have it together. They didn't understand. Guys like Abraham would still go to uh, an Afrikaans terpentijnboom. I don't know what the tree's name is in English. He would go at certain trees and build an altar unto God because it was the custom of that time that if you build an altar next to a certain kind of a tree that you've got a, a portal and an opening to the spirit world. Can you see how these pagan ways of worship and the Chaldean way of worship was mixed in with Abraham's way? And from there he... He did believe God, but there were many things that he carried out of his old system. And we cannot see in Abraham a perfect representation of the Father. Neither can we see it in David, neither can we see it in any of the old. And everything they do, we cannot take at face value, but we have to say it needs to be spiritually interpreted in the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
And there, in that finished work of Christ, we are seeing that God was not going to break the people that didn't obey the law, but that He was coming to break the yoke and the burden, um, the, the staff off the shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confusing noise and the garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. So what he says is that there's a confusing noise going out, that these people are being confused, and uh, uh, the people that oppress us, they're confused by what Christ has come to do, but God has come to burn up their garments that's full of our blood. In other words, the oppressor whose garments are flooded with the innocent blood that was spilled, meaning the innocent blood, the oppression, the guilt, the shame that you've walked in because of believing the lie. He has come to take vengeance on that and break that. And this is what he says. Why? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the Bible says, in these last days, He has spoken to us through His very Son. A son is higher than an angel. The authority and what He said in a son is much more eternal than what is said in an angel. That is, that is Acts chapter 1 and 2 there. Oh, not Acts, Hebrews chapter 1 and 2 there. It says, of the increase of, of this government, of this child, there shall be no end. So what is He saying? And I'm going to end off this message with this. <clears throat> God comes and He says, I am giving a son. I am giving someone who is born of me, who is equal to me, who in whom you can see who I truly am, but not just see who I truly am, because God didn't just come to reveal who the Father is. Just having a revelation of who the Father is cannot save you. You need this Father and seeing who He is, He needs to do something for you. It's like my son. He can know that I'm a very kind person and I'm a loving person and that I will do anything for that. I think of my son now when I was on that motorbike trip. I had him with me on the bike and I looked at what was in my heart in serving him that whole trip. I served him that whole trip. You know, I, w when we came back and I was in the third last day, was the first time I actually asked him to do anything. I said to him, son, could you please unpack the motorbike for me? But before that, he did nothing. I just served him. I just blessed him. I did everything I could for him. And then he would also, from by himself, do things. It's not as if he did nothing. But I didn't put any demand on him. I just blessed him. And he can know if he made a motor car accident, if he makes a motor car accident tomorrow, he can know, I'm very good. But this good guy needs to do something for him to come and help him. If he gets a flat tire and he doesn't know what to do, if, he, if the engine breaks and he doesn't know what to do, he needs to then call on me and I will have to do something for him. So, just having a revelation that God is a loving God cannot save you. It can help you to believe what the salvation plan is. That it can do. 
But just believing that cannot save you, and you need to understand that. So this God, this loving God, the, Jesus revealed who the Father is, but He also reveals what the Father can do. And what the Father can do is, He can break the yoke of the law and its consequences, which is sin and death, off our back. Wherein we, by simply believing in what He's done, can have access into Him bringing a brand new life to us. Amen. Now, I, I, I'm, you guys know me if I'm very open in what I say <clears throat> about the ministry and things in my life. I was speaking to Elena just before the service. And uh, in my New Year's message, I'm going to talk about this point more in depth. But <clears throat> I've noticed that if I preach that God loves us, then you find that many people love that. To hear God loves you just the way you are. And the moment you say that, the old life of addiction, of hurt and pain and bitterness and unforgiveness, He can actually set you free from that, that you become and share in a life of love and kindness and generosity. You find people run away. Now, <clears throat> I'm not going to change the message because I cannot live under the burden of trying to please folk and build a ministry on who supports this ministry by liking the ministry. I have to be true to what the truth is, for this is my life. Many people say in your message, and I say it by myself, Elena always said, make it practical that we can know what it what it boils down to at the end of the day. And this is the practicality of this. The yoke and the burden of thinking that, and this is a big thing in church, if preachers are watching me, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, people, people means success, people means money. That is the thing. How can we get more people? Because if we can have more people, we can do more things, we can have all those kind of things. That, that's what it means to a lot in general. I'm not saying everybody, but in general, that's the thing that goes around in church. People equals money. Now, the moment, and I've seen it many times, the moment something radical, although it's true, he said, let us just soften that because we cannot allow people to misunderstand because then we might lose our support or this or that or whatever. This scripture says that Christ has come to break this yoke of the oppressor. I don't have to be oppressed by that fear anymore. And that's what Christ has come to do. Why? Because a child was given. He became a human being, but a son, an equal to God. A, a child was born, but a son was given unto us. And that son that was given unto us means someone born from God of whom we are now partakers, is given to us where we don't ever have to live under the burden of thinking and fearing, not having, fearing things, uh, um, trying to create life by pleasing people. and You don't have to do that. You can genuinely love and be kind and be good and so forth. For this son, this child that, that would 
conquer everything, will be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of this government wherein He governs and He rules over what oppresses you by His resurrection power and not your willpower, there is no end to that kingdom. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And that is what Jesus Christ has come to show us. Jesus, and I'm ending off with this, has come to show us how God acts to sinners, but he's also shown God's view and opinion of what destroys man, and that he has come to let justice come to the earth, and he said, it's not just that my people are oppressed, and I will set them free, and my original dream for them shall manifest, and he also says that, that would be, he would be called the everlasting father. Everlasting father means the everlasting one that will give you life, actuate your thoughts, bring forth emotions and passions in you. He will forever be the father of your thoughts and actions. He will be the father. So if you ever think that you're going to be at a place in the kingdom of God, where it's about you bringing forth good thoughts in your mind, you doing good things, I've got bad news for you if that's what you want. Because God is the everlasting Father. I will never have to be in a place where I must be the Father or my willpower will have to be the Father of anything I do since He is the Father and the truth about who He is is the Father. Amen. Bring forth a brand new life in us. Glory to God. So, <clears throat> when we look at the old, we see in the old that taking it for face value, as it was given by angels, which had a certain authority, and these angels wished to see what was really going on. They understood some. I think they understood more than the people, but they also wished to see the things that we are now seeing, the resurrection, there was a mystery. They would give a mystery, and then they were waiting to see how will this mystery unfold. In the old, these Old Testament people, which had the spirit of the Messiah in them, were looking at the times when these, the Messiah would come and suffer. They didn't know what this would be like. And then it happened. There was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That Spirit came into people, signs and wonders. A revelation of this whole thing came forth that angels desired to look in. So we find people that didn't really know, angels which accurately gave a message which also didn't really know, meaning that when we read that, we need to read it in, the, in its true context. The context is people that didn't really know, angels that didn't really know, and yet everyone, every word is supernaturally inspired by the Spirit, teaching us unto the finished work of Jesus Christ, wherein Christ who really knew came and showed us the Father. And that's why I celebrate Christmas today, because I'm thinking of <coughs> the revelation of who our Abba is, and the revelation of who our Father is. Amen. Let me pray for you. <coughs> Father, I want to thank you that I can stretch forth my hands to everybody that's watching today. Thank you, Lord, that we have such a sure word in Christ and in His resurrection. This word of prophecy, which 
this meaning that comes through the resurrection. And in the resurrection, we see who you are. We see you, the death-conquering, sin-conquering God that loves His people. That's a God that includes and doesn't exclude. You're a God of love that embraces humanity, that gives us a brand new life. And we are unashamed of this word, for we don't have to create our own lives, for we are sharing your life. And Father, I'm praying for everybody that is watching. I thank you, Lord, that as they hear this message, they will sit back and say, God, the truth of this is what I'm open for and nothing else. Amen and amen. I want to thank you so much for watching. Tomorrow I want you to have a blessed time with your family. If you are spending time with your family, if not, know that uh, you can have a blessed day thinking and pondering upon this power. Listen to this message again. Spoil yourself in thinking and pondering upon the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much and i see you again next week.